Let's take our Bibles tonight and take them to uh, Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And uh, the, the classic psalm about the family. Last week we talked about the evil day when our children will have to face that day without their parents on their own standing against the flesh and the devil and the world. And the scripture gives us not only an admonition of the evil day that comes for all people, but it also gives us an example of someone who was victorious in the evil day. Many examples. One of them is Daniel and how Daniel stood against the government. He stood against his peer pressure. He stood against his direct overseers. And uh, he stood on his own. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And so it is possible for you and I to stand in that evil day. I'm going to give you three things tonight that are, are principles that are, I think, very important for you to remember before we show you an example of someone uh, in, in the book of Judges. But notice in Psalm 127, verse 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Here's the first principle. The biggest factor that will help or destroy your child is you as the parent. The biggest factor that will help or destroy your child more than anything else is going to be you as a parent. Notice here, this world-class archer, mighty man, someone who could... Uh, hit the bullseye in the heat of battle. He is launching this arrow at a target. It's not something, it's not a situation where he shoots the arrow and then draws a circle around it and says, that's exactly what I was shooting at. He has a target. And just like world-class archers, parents are launching their children at a target. And uh, the two most extreme targets are heaven and hell. And it is the number one factor that determines where that child ends up is their parents. No one else, no one else but you launches that child. Why? Even the government of the United States at this point has no desire to raise your children. Now, they want to influence them, they want to educate them, but they don't want to raise them. How do I know that? Because of all of the agencies that are there to help people bring children into their home. There's there's no huge orphanages that are, are left just standing by themselves, chock full of children. That's not how we do it in America. Even the government of the United States does not want to raise your children. Again, they want to influence them. They do want to control their minds, but they don't want to raise them. You know what? As parents, we can blame everybody under the sun as to why our kids don't go the direction we want them to go. But the government looks at us as responsible. Did you hear about the the lady who was charged with her son, with the the killing spree that he went on? And I think it's a wonderful move that our courts have, have started down the road. 
I think it's a wonderful move. I think them certainly there's, there's examples, there's exceptions to that, where the kids are not under the control of their parents. And I don't know exactly all those exceptions, but I know this. The idea that somehow my child does what he wants to do, and I have nothing that I can say about it, is false, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous for you to think that you have no control over your children. The Bible, the authoritative word of God says, you're the one launching your children. And it says, you're the one deciding where to launch your children, at which target to point them. So that's point number one to keep in mind. You have the opportunity, the ability to, to, to aim your children. Now, there can be a defect in the arrow. There could be a defect in the bow, so to speak. But at, at, at the end of the day, you and I as parents are the single most important factors as determining where that child ends up. Number two, another principle. There are two things in your life that will destroy your family, it'll destroy your, your, your relationships, your marriage, it'll destroy your children. Two things, pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness will destroy your family. It'll destroy your your kids. It'll destroy your marriage. Pride and selfishness. It'll send your child to hell. It'll break the spiritual legacy that you've received. You ever see someone whose parents are raised in church and you talk to them and and they look like they got drugged through a, a dumpster, spiritually speaking, and you're thinking, what in the world? What happened? I don't know exactly what happened, but I know pride and selfishness were involved somewhere. Somehow, pride and selfishness. And I understand, there are people that do everything they can for their children. But I just somehow, I've seen it too much, and you've seen it. The Lord loves humble people. And He helps humble people. He helps stupid people. He helps people who have made big mistakes if they will be humble. How do I know that? All through Scripture. You've got a king as evil as Ahab who humbles himself and God gives mercy to him. God will give mercy to us as parents who have made numb skull decisions, who have done stupid things with our, with our family. But God will help you if you will humble yourself. Pride and selfishness will destroy your family. Number three. And this is a scary one. Take your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14 and look at verse 18. God will grease your family's skids to go in the direction that you want to go. Numbers 14, look, it says, verse 18, The Lord is long-suffering of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about salvation here, although it certainly would encompass that. I'm not talking about somehow God blames the children for the sins of the parents. No, we know that, that he said that the, the, the father's teeth, uh, the, or the father had eaten sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. He said, I'm going to throw that, par- that proverb out. Why? I'm not going to judge those kids. But there is a spiritual legacy or a, a, a personality trait that gets handed down. And, and, and you can't help it. Why? What a, what a parent does, a child is, generally speaking, going to do. And if God had to judge the sin in the parents' lives, he's going to judge that sin in the kids' lives. And it may never work its way out. 
If your dad grew up smoking, you grew up thinking that your, if your dad smoked, you grew up thinking that smoking was a masculine thing to do. And it may have taken you a long time to get over that. If you watched your parents drink alcohol and get tipsy, when you got to a point of pressure and stress in your life, you realized, oh, this is why mom and dad used to drink. And it's going to be much easier. If your parents got divorced, it's going to be much easier for you to get a divorce. Not that the divorce is ever easy, but it makes sense. It, it, you say, well, there's irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable. Well, how do I know they're irreconcilable? Well, mom and dad had irreconcilable differences. So these things get passed down, not in some magic way. We always like to think of some magic, God is judging me. No, the Lord is visiting the iniquity. Why? He said, everything that you plant, you will eventually reap. And you may try to get rid of it, but it's coming back. There's a root underneath the ground that you can't find. And I could go on to stories, I'm sure you can as well. You try to find out where is this plant coming from, and you try to get down there, and it just keeps coming up every spring. Why? That's what iniquity does. The good thing is, God will grease the skids in the direction that you want to go. Do you understand when I say, by grease the skids? Okay, like, the, like, a, like a, um, uh, what's the thing called? A sled, the skids on a sled underneath. Put grease on that, makes it go easier. If you want to go the wrong direction, God will help your family go the wrong direction. God will allow it. If you want to go the right direction, God will help your family go the right direction. This is the scary thing about it because we think, well, God will stand against us if we go too far. I've never heard the, 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 the audible voice of God say, don't do that. And I have, I have heard the prompting of the Holy Spirit who says, don't do that. But it, sometimes my desire is just a whole lot louder than the Holy Spirit's desire. And so God will let you do what you want to do. Now, he's very gracious in that he will come back and he will say, hey, you need to stop. I'm going to bring something into your life to shake you up. And so it is a help. God is a help in that way. But if you keep pushing, 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 God will let you go. Now, let me say this. There's never a time in your life where you can't stop, turn around, and ask God for forgiveness. There's never a time in your family, in your marriage, in your relationships with your kids, where you can't stop and say, I was wrong, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to change. How do I know that? Well, you know, Romans 1 talks about the degradation of Gentiles. Society it goes down and down and down and down. But may I remind you, even when you get to the end and it says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Could I remind you that some of those people were in the Roman culture, the Gentile nation that he was talking to. And yet they had gotten saved out of that culture. And now they were in the body of Christ. Now they're on their way to heaven. So it's possible, even if you go down, 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 just like a, a, a pilot is trained to do certain things on a plane. He's trained to always check this and never touch that. But you know when things go bad? You know, remember when, uh, when uh, what was his name, uh, Sully, Sullenberger, the, the, uh, the pilot there who took off from, I think, from LaGuardia, and all of a sudden there was a huge problem, and he had to land the plane on the Hudson River. Do you remember that? He had just a split second. You know what he had to do? He had to break a lot of rules. 
He had to do crazy stuff he would never do on a normal day. You know why he did it? He wanted everybody to survive. You might feel like you're in a tailspin and your family, your marriage, everything is going crazy. You need to do unorthodox things, crazy things to say, stop, we're not crashing. I'm not going down in a plume of smoke. We are going to land this plane. And the best way for you to do it, of course, is to humble yourself to God. So remember, you don't have to pass down a generation or a a wicked generation to, to your children. You don't have to pass down that iniquity. Will it come back? Will the Lord visit that? Yes. Hey, listen, if a mom takes certain substances into her body while she is germinating that child, while she is bringing that child to life, will it affect the child? Of course it will. It's going to affect that child. But there comes a point, there comes a point when many times that child can grow out of that if they get the proper nutrients, proper vitamins. The same is true spiritually. How much more spiritually? Because God can raise someone who is dead to life. He can take someone who is dead in trespasses and sin and make them alive. So you can, yes, you received a bunch of junk from your parents, but you don't have to pass that down. Why? You're crucified with Christ. That old nature that received that from mom and dad is dead. And you don't have to live your life through that nature. You don't have to cuss just because your dad cussed. You don't have to chew just because your mom chewed. You don't. You can make a difference. You can break that chain and God will help you do it. Now let's take our Bibles over to Judges chapter 17. Judges 17, I want you to see an example of parental pride. In I said 17, forgive me. Uh, Judges 11. I'm going to read a verse to you from 17. Judges 11. The Bible says in, in 17, 6, in those days there was no what? King in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Own eyes. Nobody was listening to God. Everybody's pretending to be biblical, just like today, right? That's how a lot of things are in Christianity today. Everybody's Christian, quote unquote, and spiritual, quote unquote, but they're not biblical. I'll say that one more time for you. People today, Christians, are Christian, which is basically, this is what we always did at my church and what, and I, what I always think we should do. Or they may be very spiritual. God is saying this to me. I just feel, I can't imagine that God wouldn't blah, 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 blah. But they're not very biblical. They can't go to the Bible and say, this is what the scripture says. And if they do go to the Bible, most of the time they're arguing for what they want outside of the Bible. They're not arguing for whatever God says. By the way, when a person is stuck on something and wants it to be that way and pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes, uh, I hope, I hope that it is pushing for God to be in charge. But most Christians today, when they're pushing, they're, they're saying, you don't get to tell me what to do. No, no fundamental church gets to tell me what to do. No, no pastor. They're overbearing. Would it make you feel better if we sat in a circle? Right? People, people don't like anyone. They, they push, push. Don't tell me. They can't show me that in the Bible. Okay, what, if you want to fight about something, here's what you should fight for. You should fight for God being true and every man a liar. That if you want to get up on your high horse and say, well, I just don't understand why. You should say this. I just don't understand why God just can't be in charge of everything. And we can't all just listen to what he says. 
If you want to fight about something, you want to argue, you want to get on a, a blog or whatever, hey, I, I'm not your boss. I can't tell you what to do. I'm just saying, think about it for a little bit. Think about it. If you want to argue about something, why not argue for God being in charge? Instead of just arguing for all the wrongs that you think need to be righted. People aren't that, pastors aren't that great and so forth. Then you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But why don't you argue for God instead of arguing against other people? Now, again, some of, the, some of this I'm probably talking to somebody else that's not even here, so forgive me. But this idea, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. But you forgot. What about beyond your peripheral vision? See, God can see everything. You can see what's right in your own eyes, but you can't see what's behind your head. You know the reason why God gave your mom eyes in the back of her head? Because she was a, a, a divinely appointed authority in your life. So God can see everywhere at the same time. You don't sneak up on God. You can't surprise God. Someone said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? And so when you are in spiritual leadership and under spiritual leadership, God gives you the ability to see from a broad perspective. You're not going to get surprised. You're going to know. And by the way, if you're a young parent, you're going to find out that you're going to have this sensation in the back of your head, maybe a spidey sense that goes off saying, I wonder what that little kid is doing right now. And maybe it's, you know, memories of yourself. I don't know. But I think it's the the wisdom of God. Sometimes as a parent, I've been in bed, uh, lying in bed, trying to go to sleep, and I'll have this thought. You need to pray for for one of my sons or one of my daughters. And it kind of scares me in a little bit. But I don't freak out. I don't say, oh, no, I better call them. I just say, Lord, if there's anything I can do, I know I can pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to leave it in your hands. God gives that stuff to you. But when you do every, everything that which is right in your own eyes, you're limited to your own understanding and vision. And that's what was happening. This was the time right now uh, uh, in Israel. Nobody's listening to God. So Jephthah is one of the judges, one of the many judges in this book. And uh, the, the Ammonites were really bothering Israel. And so they came, uh, the Israelites came up to Jephthah and they said to him, hey, will you go and kill some Ammonites for us? And he says, okay, I'll do it, but you've got to make me the leader. I've got to be in charge. I'm the guy. And then he says to God, God, I'm going off to fight the Ammonites. And if you'll give me the victory, when I come home, I'll sacrifice the first thing that, that, that comes out of the doorway. I'm going to do it. And so he comes home and he's like, oh, it's good to be victorious. Thank God. This is wonderful. What happens? His daughter comes out. And so what does he do? Well, he ends up taking his only daughter and kills her as a sacrifice to God. And we look at that, we say, what kind of a story is that? Well, let's get into it and let's see. Look at Judges chapter 11, look at verse number 9. Here's where they come to him. Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? I'll fight for you, but I want to be in charge. Here's an example of Jephthah's pride. Think about this. He was interested in the power of leadership. He was not interested in the spiritual accountability. He was interested in the power of God, but without the character of God. How do I know that? Well, you know, God never told him to sacrifice his daughter. And God did tell Abraham to sacrifice his son, but he didn't even make him follow through on it. 
You see, this is something where a guy wants to look like he's really getting the job done. He's really on top. He's really the one. I, hey, I'm going to be in charge. Hey, I'll, do, I'll help you, but I'm the one that's in charge. Look at verse number 30. Here's the vow. Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be, this is verse 31, whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's. And I will offer, what's the next word? It up for a burnt offering. You see what he's thinking here? He's not thinking with a broad perspective. He's thinking with his own mind, his own eyes. Again, God never told Jephthah to offer this, to, to make this vow to God. But it sounds really spiritual. You know, sometimes as, 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 as parents, we think, I want to have the most awesome kids. I remember when I was a, 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 a teenager, I think, I had this idea in the back of my mind that I was going to have a whole bunch of sons and all these sons were going to, I think they were all going to play trumpets. And they were going to all play guitars. And they were going to all play sports. And it was going to be awesome. I'm going to have all these sons, like the Ponderosa, right? Me and Uncle Ben. I've got all these sons. Except I didn't even have a wife, number one. And number two, I, I guess I didn't think about the fact that you don't really get to choose which kind of kid you have, male or female. Like, it, they just come. And you find out, oh, wow, we're having a boy, we're having a girl. I didn't realize that. Now, the Lord gave me three sons, but I had a really hard time getting them interested in the guitar. And I, we got interested in, in basketball, but I didn't realize I was going to be old and out of shape by that time. So a lot of this stuff you have in your mind, it's like, we're going to have the most awesome kids. They're going to be so smart. They're going to be so good looking. They're going to be amazing. Remember, just, you know, they come from you. Just keep that in mind. And if you spend your parenthood saying, I'm not going to make the same mistakes with my kids that my parents made with me, you're going to be myopic. In other words, narrow-minded. You're going to be like, you're going to have blinders on. Your own perspective is going to miss all that God can do. Because isn't it true that you're nothing and I'm nothing but an example of the grace of God? I'm not an example of the most perfect parents who made all the right decisions. And that's why I stand here today. Lord knows I should have, I should have been in big trouble a long time ago. Why? None of your business. And you should have been in trouble. And it's none of my business. You know who made it none of our business? God and his grace. Amen. It's none of our business what all the junk we could have or should have been into. When we come in here, you don't know whether you're sitting with a felon. You don't know whether you're sitting with someone who's committed what you would consider egregious sin. Certainly not like yours. Right? But you know, we're here today. Why? Because of the grace of God. And you're going to raise your children through the grace of God. Not through some big proclamation of, I'm going to do an amazing job with my children. Yeah, you probably will and miss it in one area that you never thought about. That's life. That's the way it goes. God told Abraham to sacrifice. He never told Jephthah. And Jephthah, again, is Christian, sounds very spiritual, but he's not very biblical. So he goes out and he wins the war. Look at verse 34. Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Not just only daughter, his only child. 
Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. She's coming out, and what is she doing? She is happy. She's dancing. She's celebrating her dad. She thinks he is awesome because he went out and did that. And by the way, your kids think you're awesome too. They love you. They think you're great. And by the way, that's one of the hard things of, of teenhood is when a kid gets into his teens, because of the way our culture is, met, is formed, it's okay to make fun of mom and dad. And the idea is my mom and dad are not as great as they think they are. Well, hold on a second. Did your parents really put themselves on a pedestal or did you put your parents on a pedestal? Right. You're the one that thought they were so great and they didn't live up to what you thought they were. Did they say were that, they were that great? Now, some weird parents might do that. If you're walking around t- telling your kids, you're lucky to have me as a dad. I didn't have a dad. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't ever tell your kids, you're lucky to have me as a parent. Why? Let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. Her children rise up and call her blessed. You don't have to be the one that says, you ought to be thankful for all I'm doing for you. It's one thing I love about my wife. She never, never talks about the sacrifices she makes for our family. And it's not because she doesn't make them. She makes them. She doesn't talk about it. Why? She doesn't consider how much she should be praised for what she does. That's, I think it's a and I say that because she's not in here tonight. It's, it's, a, it's a godly characteristic to do what's right without having to elicit praise from other people. If you want to be a godly man or woman, a godly mother or father, sacrifice for your family and stop feeling sorry for yourself. Now, there comes a point where you have to say, look, am I the only one that's doing anything around here? But you ought to be training your children to help out. If you get mad at your kids because they won't help around the house, guess whose fault that is? It's not your kid's fault. It's your fault. Jordan Peterson said, I love this quote, the whole book, 12 Rules for Life, didn't do much for me, but I'll never forget this quote. He said, stop letting your kids do things that make you hate them. It's a great quote. So you don't have to toot your own horn is what I'm trying to say. Here is, here is uh, this daughter coming out of Jephthah and she's saying, my dad is awesome. Man alive. I don't know about you. Anytime my kids say something in a card or, or a text or whatever, I'm like, I don't think you're talking about me. Why? I don't feel worthy of it. But you know, our kids need someone to, to look up to and to celebrate. And here's what happens with her. came to pass that when he saw her, verse 35, that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. He blamed his daughter. Why? Because we all know Jephthah couldn't be wrong. Jephthah was this leader. Jephthah had the, uh, the reins of Israel now. He wasn't a, he wasn't a punk. He wasn't just some uh, schmuck. He was a guy in charge. And you know what really bothers me? Jephthah says to his daughter, you ruined my life. Now we understand, of course, in his twisted mind, he is going to sacrifice his daughter, but it's her fault. It's her fault. Isn't that what wife beaters say? You brought me to this. Right? Why do you make me do this? It's a twisted way of thinking. 
to blame your children for your stupid actions. It's a satanic way of thinking. It was not her fault. He shouldn't have blamed his daughter. He should have blamed himself. She was just coming out to celebrate her daddy. And just like any self-respecting daughter would. And this is what he said. For I, in verse 35, I have opened my mouth unto the Lord. Yes, you have. Oh, wow. You've really done it. Now, I'm going I'm to lay it thick on Jephthah because this is a really, really traumatic experience. This is a crisis. This is one of the indications of how bad society gets without godly leadership. A horrible, horrible story. He said, I've opened my mouth unto the Lord and I cannot go back. Just hold on just a second. Hold on. Think about this. I understand Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says that, you know, if thou vowest to vow, defer not to pay it. Let me, let me, don't forget, Leviticus chapter 5 does give an exception for people who say stupid things when they shouldn't have said it. What happens? They go to the priest and they say, I was wrong. I should have done this. I confess it as sin. And they offer a sacrifice. Now, I understand if you vow a vow, you should, you, you should defer not to pay it. But even God makes an exception in that case. Secondly, if he didn't make an exception in this case, let's say God had no exception whatsoever. And Jephthah said, oh, man, oh, man, I'm going to have to kill you now. Is that the only option? What else could have been done? How about this? I'm going to have to offer myself as a sacrifice because I promised God I would sacrifice and I'm not killing you. It's not your fault that this happened. Do you ever think about that? You ever consider that? Isn't it interesting how we would say, Jephthah, oh, he's doing the right thing. It was tough, but he did the right thing. Did he really do the right thing to kill his own daughter when God never told him to do it to begin with? Think about this. You know what? This is where that pride comes in. Because a lot of parents will say, no, no. I said it. I'm German. I'm Lithuanian. I'm from Brazil. We're tough. This is how we do it. I'm not backing off. I won't. And our pride gets in there. And we end up hurting our family because we are going to take a stand. I'm not suggesting that you... Are, are, are back off of what God says. I'm not suggesting that God said, do this, don't do that. You say, well, I'm going to make an exception. No, you don't make exceptions where God doesn't make exceptions. But where you set up yourself as a standard, as some kind of a judge of conduct, of a, 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 a gauge of how godly you are, and that's where you are, and if anybody doesn't reach up to that level, they're in big, big trouble. You better relax, my brother and sister. You better take a chill pill. Why? Because there's been plenty of things in your life that you haven't followed through on. Things that you got in trouble for, in some cases, weren't your fault. Things that happened to you because of what other people did. And maybe you should just remember that your great spirituality, if I'll tell you one thing, our children will never. That spirit is not of God. There is a calmness, a calm, serene disciplined endurance that goes with being a Christian. But I can tell you there's many, many times when parents are embarrassed by their children. 
And there's something inside of you as a parent that wants to say, not my kids. You ain't embarrassing me. No. I'm the pastor of the church. I am an assistant pastor at that church, and you're not embarrassing me. We have a testimony. Hold on a second. Does it sound like I care about what God's people think about God in this case? Or does it sound like I care more about what God's people think about me? You say, is there a difference? That's all the difference that there is in child raising. Who are you raising your children for? For the glory of you and your awesome characteristics? Or for the glory of God, even though you're just a sinner saved by grace? You see, this is where it really gets real because we want our kids to do right. We want them to grow up and pay their bills and to, you know, take, have good relationships and make money and be successful. Yeah, but for who? Because what happens when your kids don't live up to that awesome ideal of what they should be? What are you going to do now? You're going to snub them at Thanksgiving? You're going to make, they come home with their family, you're going to make them sit at the kids' table? Because, because they're just not quite up to snuff. You know, it's a, it's a real nasty thing that people do when they talk about other people that are not there in glowing terms. But they never say those same glowing terms about the people who are standing right in front of them. It's a nasty thing that people do. Parents, grandparents do this. Where they, they, they pour it on the people who are not there. They're my favorite grandson. They're my favorite daughter. But the ones that are, you're right in front of me, I can't believe. It's a scary thing. Don't put yourself in that position. Don't be like Jephthah that has such high standards that the first person to get the axe is not you, but it's the people who ruin your life. The people for whom you are responsible to God. You're there to sacrifice for them. Your children are not there to sacrifice for you. And I will say this as a side note. I think a lot of our kids get away uh, from working hard. They don't have the character, which has been said for years and years. I've got articles going back to the 1800s, I think, about how kids are not like they used to be. Every generation says that. Why? What you mean is they're not like me. Right? And there's probably some truth in that. But, But let me just hold on a second. Your kids are not your slaves. That is something to keep in mind. Your, your kids are not there to be seen and not heard. And in some cases, not even to be seen. Keep in mind, you're not running a monastery. It's a house with people in it. Yeah, they should learn to mind their manners. They should have some etiquette. They should learn to be clean and neat and so forth. But if you're mad at your child for making you feel embarrassed about things, you're doing it wrong. You should care more because you want them to have good character. Even if you are considered a slob, I want you to have good character to please our God. Not, I want you to build the reputation of the Marshall family. One thing I thank my my parents for, many things I have, but one thing was very difficult. But I grew up in front of people all of my life. We lived in a glass house on wheels. And uh, it's like being raised in an aquarium. Everybody sees you all the time. 
But I never remember my parents saying to me, you better behave. People are watching us. I don't remember them saying that. I am sure that they felt it. (laughs) I am sure that they felt it. They never did. You know what they said? You better behave. God is watching you. God is watching you. It's more important to what God thinks about your family than what the church thinks about your family. And by the way, if you're concerned about what God thinks of your family, the church is going to be okay with your family. They're going to be fine. Why? Because you're more concerned about them doing right in the eyes of God, and that will help them do right in the eyes of other people. But if you focus on them looking right and always acting right and always, don't ever embarrass me. You never say that. You don't. Listen, what's going to happen is they're going to grow up and realize, oh, mom and dad are the authority. As long as they're around, I better be on my best behavior. And what's that going to make them want to do? Get away from mom and dad. So they can do whatever they wanted to do anyhow. But you can't get away from God. So for me, I'm out there doing my own thing some days. I'm trying to get away and I can't get out of my head. God is always watching me. It goes with me everywhere I go. Notice he says here, in verse number 36, 35, I have opened my mouth unto the Lord and I cannot go back. Be careful saying things that God never said. If you can't take your pride and shave it off a little bit, then you're not going to be a good parent. If you've never apologized, if you have kids in your home for 15 years and you've never apologized to them, you're either spineless and you don't say anything at all, never had to apologize, or you're really proud. Why? We all say things, we all do things that we're ashamed of, that we know we shouldn't have said. And if you can't go back to that child, what you're doing when you're saying that is, I'm not the ultimate authority in this home. This book is the ultimate authority. And the way I responded was anti-biblical, and I'm asking you to forgive me. You say, well, that's going to get that's going to get rid of your authority. Says who? You're still in the position of authority. The Lord doesn't take that away just because you make a mistake. He doesn't take it away just because you do something right. Your kids don't get to decide whether you're in charge. Whether you do something good or bad. Your position of authority does not change. People get so hung up on this thing. Like, I'm afraid if I do that, I'll be giving more power to my kids. No, you're giving more power to God. You're saying, God is in charge of me. I was wrong. I'm asking you to forgive me. Now, you can take that too far. Some parents, some, some moms are, and dads are like, please, please, please like me. Please, I'm sorry. Mommy was mad. Mommy, oh, please. Yeah. Amen. No. Your goal in your life, if your family, is not to, your kids to love you and to think that you're so awesome. The goal in your family should be for your kids to love God. And if they love God, they will love you. Why? God is love. He's made out of it. If they love God, they'll love you. But if you're constantly trying to, you know, curry favor, trying to win your kids with little things, this, that, and the third, you're hurting your kids in the long run. Notice what the response of the daughter was in verse 36. She said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. She never argued with her dad. She never told him that his vow was stupid, even though it was. 
She just did what he said and went along with being sacrificed. Man alive. What a girl. Think about the potential that she would have had for God if Jephthah hadn't killed her. And then think about the potential that your kids would have and my kids would have if it wasn't for us. We're the ones standing in the way. It's our character that we're passing down to our kids. Which, by the way, is another really, really important reason to get as much Bible into them as possible. Because you want to say, do it like he said, not like I have done. I want to follow the Lord the best that I can. But I'll tell you this, God's never failed me. God's never made a mistake. God has never had to apologize to me because he's never done anything but be wonderful to me. And that's why I want my kids to be locked into the Lord. I want my kids to think, God is awesome. How do you do that? Well, number one, you start by thinking that yourself. You start that by reading your Bible. Stop pretending to have a relationship with God so your kids will do better spiritually than you. Why not just have a relationship with God yourself? Stop desiring your kids to be closer to God than you want to be. I understand the concept. But let me ask you this. In the financial world, you want your kids to be millionaires. You want your kids to be well taken care of. Then why do you do stupid things with money? Why do you waste all your money? Why do you think that somehow it's all going to magically switch and all the stupid stuff you do, your kids will not do? In the spiritual realm, why do you think your kids are going to even want to have a relationship with God if you don't want to have a relationship with God? Is it really worth it? The thing that always cracks me up is when kid, people take their kids to kindergarten and uh, first grade and get them into, into a Christian school for a while because they really want them to have that experience. And then they say, we're taking them out and we're going to put them in a place where they don't care about their spiritual growth at all. I was like, why does it matter when they're little? Doesn't make any sense. If it matters when, it, when they're little, it probably matters a little bit beyond But you know what happens when they get into their junior high years? They see NBA. They see NFL and MLB in their eyes. By the way, your kid's not going, just in case you're wondering. Not going. But they change. I'm just asking you if you consider, Jephthah here had a really top-notch daughter. But he destroyed her life. Why? For his own pride. His own selfishness. As much as we'd hate to admit it, children manifest the problems that are in a family. Children are rarely the problems themselves. How do I know that? If you've got a brat for a kid that won't, say, won't take no for an answer, that's not that kid's fault. It's your fault. You say, I don't know what to do. Well, you can ask. I'd be happy to help you. I would suggest starting in Proverbs. Proverbs got a lot of stuff to say. Here, Jephthah was more concerned about his own reputation and his own uh, accomplishments and his own victories that he's just spitting out. You get a car. You get a car. You get this. And yeah, I'll do this for you, God. I'm going to be awesome. This is going to be so great. Oh, now my daughter has to suffer. Well, too bad. Man, you're hurting me. You're hurting me, girl. How could you do this to me? Kind of a twisted guy is that. I'll tell you, it's a proud and a selfish man. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 11.2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Take your Bibles to James chapter 4. As we close tonight, look at James chapter 4, look at verse number 6. I want you to read these two verses together with me. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. James 4, let's read verses 6 and 7 together. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God will make your home a miserable place if you insist on pride. He will push back against you. He will fight you if you won't humble yourself. I want to end with one more verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Because as hard as we've been tonight on Jephthah, somehow or other, God decided to include him in the hall of faith. Verse 32, 11.32, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah. Who were they? What did they do? Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And we could go on. I don't know exactly which one the Lord is referring to here with Jephthah. What did he do? I don't know. But I know this. God allows us to have this illustration in the Bible for a reason. I don't want to be a Jephthah. I don't want to be someone who sacrifices my own daughter to make myself look good in the eyes of others. I want to say, Lord, hey, thank you. Thank you for the victories that you've given me. But if I don't get to be the hero, and if I don't get to be in charge, and if they look at me and say, what? You said you were and you didn't. I'd rather say I want to do right by my God and by my family before I care about what anybody else thinks. I guarantee you this. If you will do that, keep yourself humble. God's going to give you grace. He's going to give you more grace if you'll keep yourself submitted to him. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight.